Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm good, Andrew. I'm really good. Uh, I see you're wearing your Eagles baseball cap, and I am very excited about Saturday night. And I, I've got to say this, I would just love it, love it, if the Giants can beat the Eagles. That would be amazing. So the, wh- why would you feel the need to say that? Like, I don't know that that's how you feel. It's just, l- let me state the obvious thing here to annoy Andrew right at the start of the podcast. Well, no, well, I was going to start with an apology to uh, Napoli fans. So, so a ton of Napoli fans, uh, Napoli listeners, listeners to this podcast, who support Napoli, got in touch and said, thanks very much for talking about the win over Juve and, you know, your excitement about the possibility that they could win the Scudetto for the first time in 33 years. And I said, oh, you're welcome, you're welcome. And I jinxed them. I put the Maloik on them. The next thing you know, they are losing to Cremonese <laughs> in the Coppa Italia. So knocked out on penalties. So I was going to begin with that, but you barreled into this podcast i'm wearing neutral i'm wearing my sligo rovers hat and my england 1990 i'm a dundalk fan i find that offensive also you're a dundalk you are all right yeah um so so you started this basically and i would love basically to sicken you that's what i want to happen here's one one bit of warning that i'll tell you because i'm actually legitimately nervous for this this football eagles giants game saturday night i am um, you're playing, I would say the Giants are playing good football right now. I feel like Giant fans would lead you to believe that they're playing unbelievable football right now. I don't think that's necessarily true. They look good. The Eagles haven't really looked that good for a month no. or so. No. So because of that, even though the Eagles were 14 and three this season, just that alone and just the nature of a one and done postseason format, um, that just makes me nervous. I think almost the, like the over, it's almost like, Again, the Giants are playing well and they're a good they're a good team. They're fine. They're not amazing. They're a good team. But their fan base right now, I feel like, is coming into this game with this almost like wild bordering on irrational confidence. That haven't and, been too- and in some ways that's that that has almost rubbed off on me. Like it's made me even more nervous just being because I live in New York around so many Giant fans. So just being around that confidence, it's like what maybe they're coming into this just like this like train that can't be stopped no. i don't know but until they start until the game starts we won't we won't really know how that manifests itself i I'm just in touch feel with, i get from the fans I, I i i'm in touch with real on the ground hardcore giants fans who've been fans for years and none of them feel that the way you're describing they are delighted. i'm not the only one that has said that I t- i've talked to a couple of my other friends here who who are eagles fans that live in new york that are work with giants fans and they they said the same thing to me yeah They're, i don't know just yeah. an observation yeah it's true. Tell everybody what's on the other football podcast. The uh I was gonna say the, the round ball, not the not the egg. The oblong. Yes. Yes. Uh what a show we have coming up for you here on this Friday, JJ. That's a wonderful Friday. And uh we're gonna talk a little bit about yesterday's Manchester City comeback over Spurs down two 0 at the half and they 
They just explode for four goals in the second half. We'll talk about that, but more so we'll talk about some of the comments made by Pep Guardiola afterwards because they were they were pretty interesting, not just at his team, but at the fans as well. So we'll get into some of that. Um, I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Manchester United and Crystal Palace. JJ, if you put the, the hex on uh, Napoli the other day, I guess maybe I kind of did it to Manchester United when I declared their, their back. Now, I did not say that they were really in a title race. Uh, but I was very bullish on where things are at. I have not changed off of that stance, but a day later they did drop points against Crystal Palace in a, a dramatic late equalizer that Palace scored. So we'll talk a little about uh, what happened there. And JJ, we're going to go in the club. We're we gonna are go in we're the go- club. We're going to have Ped from Toffee TV. Now is that what he goes by? Yeah, Ped. Uh, okay. I mean, we can we can call him Peter McPartland, but uh, I mean, he was introduced on Merseyside Radio as Ped. I I I've been listening to so much Everton content. I'm listening to former. I suppose he was at one point one of the most famous people in England as he hosted ITV's football coverage. Um, that was Elton Wellesby, who's retired now, and he's a big Evertonian, and he's hosting all these Everton spaces. Hmm. That. If I see an Everton space right now, I'm clicking on it. And it was so weird. It just goes to show how global the game is. I was listening to one last night, and Elton Wellsby's there, this kind of veteran uh, broadcaster. And I click into it, and all I can hear is the dulcet tones of a Texan accent. I mean, we've just got to try and do something about that defense. And Frank Lampard is being thrown under the bus. Frank Lampard, he's got his hands tied behind his back. And I'm like, what the heck? And it was just a, an Everton supporter from, from Austin, Texas sounding off. So the concern for Everton stretches far and wide, and uh, I think it's a good time to talk to Ped. Well, I look forward to it, uh, and I'm curious to see just – I don't mean this in a in a way to be mocking them or anything. I'm genuinely curious to see just how dark a place that fan base is in <laughs> right sick. now. I'm You're not sick. sick. I'm not sick. I'm just because we all have our own perceptions of of where things are at with that club, but we're not really in it in the day to day of what it is to be an Everton fan and two straight seasons of of taking part in relegation battles that you probably five years ago never thought was a thing that would be possible for your club. And so I'm just kind of I'm just genuinely curious to kind of get the pulse of an actual Everton supporter and see kind of where they're at with this and how they're how they're handling with it and what they think the outcome of this will be and you know I'm it's not any kind of like oh uh, you know any kind of sick voyeur oh let me let me see from the outside just how how dark this is no I'm like I'm actually curious from one fan to another that's that's really how I feel and uh, we've so, got yeah. and we've got the uh, you know apart from your sick fan the sick depraved fantasies about w- watching Everton crash and burn we've got uh Things I saw on the internet returning, returning with Mm -hmm. its full jingle and all its glory. And just to tease it, Andrew, I think I've solved one of the commentary conundrums of 2023 by going back in time 34 years to the league, to an obscure League Cup quarterfinal tie. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. There is a commentator out there and people, his, let's just put it this way. His lack of enthusiasm is beginning to jar with a lot of supporters. But I'm here to say he might always have been like that. And I've got the evidence. Oh, okay. Well, I'm intrigued. 
I am yeah. intrigued. And it takes a lot to intrigue me at six in the morning. And you've done that. Are you ready? Yeah, let's, let's go. Talk some soccer? Well, let's start. Where should we go? I guess we'll start at the Eddie Hodge uh, yesterday, JJ, um, where, boy, it feels like another one of these 12 minutes that change the season type of moments. Um, you know, we've had a couple of those this year where, you know, in big games, it feels like just a couple minutes have changed the outlook of of one team's season. And this this may have been one of those days for Manchester City yesterday. Tottenham go up 2-0 right before halftime, which is always, it feels like, just the most gutting time for a team to concede goals. City concede not just one, but two uh, right before the half. And then explode in the second half. They score three goals from the 51st through the 63rd minutes. They add another one in the 90th. Uh, for the cherry on top, four to the final. Uh, where to begin? I, I guess I, I I pointed this out to you, JJ. I wonder if if other people see this. It's just it's very interesting to me. Like Tottenham Manchester City is not a rivalry, um, but boy, they play some entertaining games against each other. Just like yeah. going back and thinking in my mind, like I didn't actually write down like the catalog of them, but you know the, the Champions League quarterfinal was unbelievable. Uh, last year's three two. Uh, you had the game with the the Bergwine goal that was you know such a great not an amazing game necessarily but such a, a memorable goal. You can even go back to the Red Knot years at Tottenham when Manchester City first got the injection of cash. That was the matchup at the end of the season uh, between those two teams, basically playing in a playoff to to reach the Champions League. They they've played a lot of these. It's just an interesting thought in my head for two teams that aren't necessarily considered rivals. No, and that was that was entertaining again as was uh, last year's. A corresponding fixture, as you've noted, and it was strange because the the theory about Tottenham—not the theory, the actual reality of Tottenham this season—of a terrible first half followed by a better second half was kind of flipped on its head. Now, I don't think they were terribly good in the first half, and you know, City dominated the ball. Tottenham were camped in their own in or around their own penalty box, sure, but they were two 0 up at half time. And City went off the field to to booze at the Etihad, and it was a it was a very strange kind of dynamic. And then City really came out in the second half, running down the hill. Uh, they built up such momentum; it was almost inevitable. Although at two two, that missed opportunity by Perisic, uh, which mm. was actually a brilliant block by by Young Lewis, and it whip, uh, whips up onto the and hits the corner the corner of the goal frame and goes out. I mean, had that gone in. Uh, that's Tottenham three two up again, and you wonder what happens after that. Although I still feel the momentum was with City, but whatever. Riyad Mahrez was in great form. Uh, they win the game. It's not shocking that they beat Spurs Spurs for four two. It's a little bit, you know, to come back from two 0 down. I think the nature of it is what the nature made it... of it was yeah. was interesting, I guess. But it wasn't. It's not a shocking result. Um, but then Pep Guardiola decided to use it as a as a moment to, instead of saying, oh, they're so, so good, so, so good, strong, physical, so, so good. He decided to uh, launch a broadside at both his players and uh, not for the first time, Manchester City's home support, such as it is. Yeah. Uh, Boy, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for his halftime speech to that team yesterday because if it was anything, I'm sure what we got after the game was probably somewhat of a a toned-down watered down version of, of what he said during the locker room. There are different there are different variations of these quotes depending on I guess where exactly he said it. I, I have some in front of me here, JJ. Well I heard it. So 
Uh, well, because he had one like at the podium, he had another one, I think, in the mix zone, and he says kind of the same thing. Uh, do you have in front of you? I, I have the quotes here as well. Yeah. Um, th- this is what he said to Sky. Yeah, go uh, with that one. Yeah. Okay. We are far. F- uh, we are far away from the team we uh, we had in previous seasons. Do you think this comeback will happen every time? It won't. We have an opponent in Arsenal who have the fire. Two decades without winning the Premier League. I am explaining the reality. Everything is so comfortable. So, so comfortable. At Man City. But opponents don't wait. I don't recognize my team. They had the passion and desire to run. We are far, far away from being able to compete at the highest level. Today, we were lucky. If we want to win something or compete, but complaining, complaining, complaining. No chance we will win anything. Do you think we are going to to chase the gap to Arsenal the way we are playing? No way. Pretty strong. I think there were other comments too where he was even more blunt. He said that they they don't have the fire. Uh, obviously, in the, in that comment, he said Arsenal did. Uh, I guess the big thing when I hear that is trying to discern between okay, is this is what he's saying the truth? Like, is this is this really the way things are with Manchester City right now, or is this managerial mind games? Is this a, a manager who is not speaking to a TV audience, but he's actually speaking to his team. He's trying to motivate them in some way. And maybe he's tried other ways. And maybe he feels like now this is the button that he has to press. I think, I think the comeback from, well, first of all, I should say that Sam Lee, who was in the press conference afterwards with the written press of the athletic said, I asked Guardiola why he's been saying all this now. It's been about 10 minutes of it in the press conference, 10 minutes of this stuff. Yeah. And Guardiola's reaction was actually to say, I want a reaction. So, like, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious, kind of what he's doing. So, if you if you look at it in terms of the team and the supporters, and look at it as a whole, he he was he was very clear to single out the hardcore away fans who are excellent, and kind of he lumped the team and the home supporters in together, and I think he just saw a two nil comeback. Uh, a comeback from 2-0 down as as a kind of an inflection point a point to ra- a rallying point to say come on guys he's he's trying to ramp them up andrew to chase to do exactly what he was talking about that they can't do which is chase down arsenal it this is to to rally his troops to circle the wagons all the phrases you want to hunker in to create that mentality of we can do this we got to get back to something and to have everybody ramped up to to chase down Arsenal, including the home support, and to try and make it a more difficult place to go and play. Um, I'm sure he wasn't delighted with the booze last night. It's weird though, because it's Pep Guardiola saying all these things, and and he's he's he 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 was asked by the by by Sky, you know, is this because of the unbelievable success of the last five years? And he goes, of course, of course, that you know the fire goes out. Yeah, but but I'm. Like to me, that's that's like the gilded cage he's in. You know what I mean? If you you, you have just been you you know, you've come into the most expensive football project we've ever seen. You win all these things, and this is the price you pay. I mean, it's the natural fall off. It's like, well, you know, you wanted this, yeah. And I do think he's like it's also unfair to manchester city fans city fans turn up at that stadium as in the numbers that they do it's not always full we understand that but like manchester city have been fast forwarded in the process of being this team i mean they literally went from 
a team that was mid-table to relegation candidates to being in Champions League semi-finals and finals within a very tight window of time. And the supporters and fan base are trying to catch up with that. And they they have a great hardcore support uh, that travel on the road. It's not quite the same at home, but there's other teams that could claim that too, uh, not to have unbelievable home support. And it's, I don't know, this is just kind of what you get when you buy into a project like this. It's not Borussia Dortmund. It's not Liverpool. It's not Man United. It's not it's not even Leon. This is just <laughs> yeah. this is just what it is. You know, it's not it's never go I, I honestly don't think their home support will ever be uh raucous really, apart from the odd occasion. It's it's tough. It's just the situation they're in as a club. Yeah. The, the I have the quote here, which is what he said directed towards the fans. After he said all that about his team, he then got into the fans. He said, it's the same with our fans. They're silent for 45 minutes. They booed because we were losing, not because we were ba- uh, played badly. We played good. We had more chances. Expected goals from Tottenham is 0.89, so we were better. They booed because we were losing. But maybe it's the same as our team. Maybe we're so comfortable winning four Premier Leagues in five years. That's why we, you know, after the goal, they react. But that's not the point. Yeah. Some of that I find interesting because his two comments, (laughs) the one directed towards his team and the one directed towards its fans, they kind of fly in the face of one another. I don't know if both things, I guess both things can be true at the same time. But he goes on a tirade against his team talking about, the performance, how there's no fire, how they look too comfortable. But then he's talking to the fans and saying, we played so well. Really? You played yeah. so well, but this is the moment that you choose to to lambast your team? Well, I do think, I mean, I, I'd, be firmly, I'd, be, I'd be firmly in the camp that, you know, you pay your money, you're allowed boo if you want. But there was a, there was a kind of a, are you serious? You're booing them? Like, there was that kind of reaction it was it was kind of hard to take but again there is there'll be a lot of uh, spoiled fans at uh, at manchester city who've I, never i'm never... going to i, I got to butt in for one sec cuz i saw michael owen uh said this also uh he tweeted about the fans booing and to think the city fans booed their team off at halftime winners of four of the last five premier league titles sitting second in the league and through to the champions league knockout stages arguably the best club team in the world right now staggering i i don't know i i can I approach this as obviously not as a former player, but as a fan. And I don't think that boos like that are an indictment of what the fans think about where the club is at in this, you know, at this time that, you know, second place isn't good enough. I don't think that that's what those boos were about. I think that it's just, it's like a reflex for a fan to, you can see two goals and then, and then it's halftime. Like it happened instantaneously with one another. Mm. It's just like kind of a normal reaction. Like that's, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that it's anything more than just like, wow, what, like a, two terrible things just happened to this team and now it's halftime. I, it doesn't shock me that like the reflex is to boo there. I don't think that it's I a statement know. from the fans about I, the, where the club is at. I think it's a statement for uh, over the last few games. You know, they're just coming. Don't forget, they're going to be raw. They're coming off of uh, a defeat in the, in the Manchester Derby. And there's there has been this kind of, certainly in the first half, we saw this kind of, this city drudge. Where, yeah, they're in control. Yeah, they've got lots of the ball, but it's kind of not like if you look at that first half, City didn't create a no. ton. They had a lot of the ball, all right, which will lend itself to, especially the way they play, some chances. I but think it's, it's not- also somewhat about the way that the goals were conceded. 
I mean, they like especially the first. Ederson basically handed Tottenham a goal. Yeah, that's right. So and you the, know, there's there's something even more frustrating second, for a fan Harry over Kane that. Is, Harry Kane is winning a tackle against Rodri in the box, which I thought was great. You know, kind of determined play. Uh, but it is it is frustrating. The ball is pammed straight back from Ederson to to who was it? Emerson Royale who heads it yeah. home. Yeah, yeah, that is frustrating. I get that, and also it harkens back to early City. I remember Pep after going to Anfield in the Champions League. He goes, you know, we can go one nil down, that's fine, but or we can go two one down, that's fine. These things happen in a game, but then to just let it completely capitulate. And I suppose maybe there was a flashback for City fans of that of that City side who, who the minute the press, uh, another team hit them with energy and commitment and verve, the team could fall apart quite easily, as we saw in 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 those Champions League games. So maybe there was a little bit of a of a, a reminder of that for City fans. I don't know. I mean, well, they they certainly responded. I mean, that second half was it was almost overwhelming. Like you said, Tottenham had the one chance that could have changed the game, but to score those three as quickly as they did from from a you know, a position of weakness that they came into it from the half. Uh, it was, I mean, it was really impressive. I mean, Tottenham them. are bad. Like, they're a bad side to watch. Um, they, uh, like, there's no two ways about it. You never felt, and certainly my girlfriend's a, a Tottenham supporter, and half time she said, people need to calm down. This is 2-0, all right, fair enough. But, I mean, this this is still well, if not absolutely within the realms of possibility that City come back and score four. And they absolutely did. Now, you can call that the fatalism of the Tottenham fan. This is the history of the Tottenham and all that stuff. But put that aside. Manchester City are just a miles better team than Tottenham Hotspur. And they just ran at them. You saw early in the second half, was it was a Hoiberg screaming at defenders at, at, at what he was seeing behind him and in front of him. Like, the way the negativity of Conte's side as well is just, it's absolutely baffling. And the, and the goals... That City got, excuse me, the goals that Tottenham got, um, you know, I, they were giveaways and they were like like Pep Guardiola said it, like you've said it. So I, I, there's a lot, there's a lot being read into this game. I, I'm, but the manager is saying Pep Guardiola is saying what he's saying. I, I get why he's doing it. Now's the moment. Now's we. Now's the time we go on a run. This is the perfect moment to say things. We've just won. How can I make this? A, a rallying cry, and that's to go in the opposite direction. Rather than say praise my team for for the comeback, all this now is the time to put the boot in and see can I get a reaction. I get that, but um, I think we might be reading too much into this game. Maybe, but you're right. I do think that this was a well a well placed moment for Pep to do something like this. Just because, look, that game's two nil at the half. Um, Arsenal are, are with the way Arsenal are playing right now, and I know they have a difficult game coming up this weekend, which could really swing things. But you know, it was it was almost like Manchester City's title challenge was sort of flashing before their eyes at halftime of that game. Like I'm not saying it was going to be done and dusted and over with, but you know, if they lose that one and Arsenal win at the weekend, it's starting to feel less and less realistic for however good Manchester City is. So maybe Pep kind of saw that and couldn't help but but as you know, he couldn't remove that feeling from himself in that moment. Um, and he needed to make sure that his team felt that as well. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it all bears out. The, the whole idea of Manchester City in this era becoming too comfortable. Um, yeah. I, I think what you said before, JJ, is I think there's some truth in that. 
that like just the way that this was put together. Yeah. Also, too, I wonder if you really spoke to a Manchester City fan in like a real, like a real truthful moment about what this experience is to support that team. Not saying don't confuse this. I'm sure that right now they are. I mean, in this era, they're in heaven. I mean, this is the the quality of football that they play, the quality of players that they have, the drama of some of these these title victories, you know, over QPR last year over Villa. You know, it's it's been incredibly fun. I'm sure it's been incredibly fun. But I sometimes wonder, JJ, you know, part of the fun of being a fa- of, of being a fan in any sport is sort of, you know, sometimes it's it's watching your team do the unexpected. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of fun and joy mm. in that. With Manchester City, I wouldn't go so far. They're not. It's not like USA Dream Team, that like it's not like when far I watch, off it. But but like it's sort of like a, a lesser version of that. Like there are obviously other teams that can beat Manchester City. Um, you know, with the U.S. with like men's basketball and the USA Dream Team, when I'm watching them play in an Olympics, it's fun. I enjoy the style of play. Like there, it's a joy to watch. But it's not like I don't take any j- real joy out of their victories. It's just like, okay, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They won by 40. Anything other than that would have been a huge embarrassment. It's hard to be really like excited and take a lot of joy out of that mentality. I know City, I, it's not like that. They they can't expect to win everything every year. There are still other amazing teams out there that can that can genuinely challenge them, as we see in the Champions League every year. But I wonder if there's a little bit of that in Manchester City's fans' minds where we, we have to win, and if we don't, it's embarrassing. And like that's that's sort of their existence right now. Yeah, I mean, although I've a I've a a friend Rob who's supported the team for years and years, and and you know, as far as an American Manchester City supporter, like he's just no disrespect to any of our listeners out there, but he's on a different level, like a totally different level, because he remembers supporting them when they were in League Two or sure. where, where was it League One, so he came right the way through it, and I see a reflex from him when they lose that he's almost happy. He's almost happy when they lose because the the prevailing commentary around his team, which shouldn't be the way in competitive sport, is that, oh, well, City are going to win that one. Well, City are going to win that one. City will just win that one. Oh, City are in a run now. It's January. City are five points clear. They're going to win the league. And that's got to be, that's tough to listen to all the time because it almost invalidates your team as a sporting entity. They are not that. They're, They're just this massive conglomerate that's going to roll through everybody and do what they're expected to do because of the money that's spent. So when they lose, it's kind of good. It validates them as a as a sporting entity or an entity that really, when they take the field, anything can happen. But that's but you can see how that's that's not a normal mindset for a fan to have. But it's not normal what happens at City. And it won't be normal at, at Newcastle either. Right. Newca- well, well, when see. Newcastle win their first league, they're going to be there's going to be a lot of fans. And again, I'm not talking about guys who started supporting them in the last 15 minutes. I'm talking about the longer term support who who saw them go down to the championship, who might even remember the Kevin Keegan years. And they'll be like, oh, wow, this is uh, here. We are winning it, but everyone expected us to win it. And there's a there's a, a joy different, uh, a joy displacement there. Your joy is suddenly it's kind of not your own. A lot of the joy in sport is is from the reaction of other people. Like Leicester City supporters, if it was just them celebrating their their win in fifteen sixteen, I mean, it would have been okay, whatever. But it wasn't. It was the world rejoicing in something that was unlikely. When you take the unlikely away from sport, 
it really does change things. And and yeah, and and that's been taken from City. But anyway, we we should we should move on. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's talk JJ a little bit about. Uh... We'll go some other things happening around the globe. Real Madrid, a dramatic comeback win over Villarreal to keep their Copa del Rey challenge alive. I mean, it was it was funny to watch because the two games were happening simultaneously. Uh, Tottenham, Man City, and Real Madrid, Villarreal. And boy, they, they completely mirrored one another. I mean, the goals were scored at different times, but just the way that they played out, it was just like you were watching two enormous, consequential comebacks happening simultaneously. Um, Real Madrid... Go down 2 0. Uh, the first goal, an early one from Etienne Capoue. What a great goal that was. Wow. Um, but they're down 2 0 at the half. And then in similar fashion, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti, he, he he tore into his team at halftime. He said afterwards, I told the team to wake up. They woke up. Well, it's the first half and the second. The first wasn't good. We can't play like that. But the reaction was spectacular. You never give up with this badge. But we can't close. We can't get close to the bottom before reacting. That isn't good. Um, and boy, they they came back in a in a huge way. They scored three in the second half, including a late winner from Danny Ceballos. A really nice goal. The Took forgotten on... man of European football. Yeah, this, right. This was the guy. Oh, what a what a clever signing by Arsenal. Get him in. He's going to do X or Y. He did nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was okay. He dealt with some injuries, but it just yeah, it didn't work out there quite the way it seemed like it was going to. In the beginning, I felt like it was such a promising start, and and it just fizzled. And then you kind of just you just forgot about him. But here he is. He pops up in a huge moment. Uh, for Real Madrid and their Copa del Rey challenge remains alive. It remains alive. Uh, you know, I thought Ancelotti's comments were, uh, I like what he said about, you know, yeah, he kind of let his team have it, but he made a point of saying that, you you know, you never give up with this badge, talking about this Real Madrid team. Boy, is that, I mean, it's it's become the DNA of them. I guess it always has been, but if you just look at the last year, the nature of their Champions League run now into this to keep their Copa del Rey challenge alive. It really is sort of the way they play. They, you know, We talk about moments where it's fun to be a fan. This this kind of is one of them. I know it's Real Madrid, and there's probably a similar mentality of if we win, that's what's expected. If we lose, it's a disaster. But like some of these wins that they've had in big moments where it just felt like everything was stacked against them, it is fun to watch your team do that. I know it's not, it's not sustainable to win games like that, um, but they've had a bunch of them over the last year, and this was this was another one. So uh, good for them for kind of having that consistent mentality that they are never out of a game. Oh yeah, I love when when Real Madrid can win in cup competitions. It's it fuels my soul. It's not like I haven't. So seen that's it your happen. take. I don't. I, sometimes I don't have a take, Andrew. I've not. I've nothing to say. Real Madrid beat Villarreal. Good for them. Hmm. Well, there you have it, everyone. Uh, let's see. Manchester United against Crystal Palace. You have anything there? Yeah, um, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. First of all, we should mention that Chris Richards had his first start for Palace. Um, as I, I think Vieira, Vieira, I mean Vieira was trying to mix things up, trying to get get a reaction out of a Palace team that had been in a little bit of a torpor the last few weeks, but he certainly got that. Uh, brilliant free kick by Olise. Like that's. That's as good as you get, Andrew. Um, I know the the animals sent you the the training video, or not the training video, but the the technique video of um, James Ward Prowse. Did you watch it? Uh, yeah, yeah. How good was how how just enjoyable are videos where you watch these amazing players just do their thing in in a controlled in a in a training environment? No, they're I like thought, artists. Oh my god, yeah. 
You see the first one he hit? <laughs> Absolutely nails it. Nails it. And um, oh man, yeah, that was that was a really good shout from the animals. And and it, it's he's got more than one way of striking it. He has he's got his classic way. He can do the Beckham whip. And he's got the one where he drives through the back of the ball. Now, in terms of Olise's goal, uh, that would have been more of a, a Beckham whip, I guess, into the top corner. Brilliant! It was incredible. It, it was one f- of the free kicks of the season. And he hardly celebrated. He did. What he was did that? that? Was that like? Oh, that that is the that is the best non-celebration celebration. That's that not doing that is just like yeah, I'm good. It was like when um, it reminded me so much, JJ. <laughs> To go back to basketball for a sec, I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago when Damian Lillard hit like a spot up half court series winner against Oklahoma City, and like he didn't celebrate, like his team mobbed him, and his he's just stone faced, just yeah. kind of like looking in the camera, like, "Yep, this is what I do." Like that, it was... <laughs> there's there's an argument that that's the best celebration you can do, um, definitely. But listen, it was a, a kind of a disastrous. Not disastrous, but you know, it's drop points. There was a lot of good feelings. Um, and I still think Arsenal Man United is a big game at the weekend, a huge game at the weekend. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, but this this does maybe temper things a little bit for Manchester United supporters. Um Well, only only the Manchester United supporters that thought they were back in the title race, which I was not prepared to no, say. In th- terms of, of United and and like the nature of the season, that was not it, that was not the type of performance that alters the way I think about them. I no, actually thought they played fairly well. No, they just they had a couple bad moments. I think you're wrong. Um, oh. but I, I, I'll just tell you why I think, and you're not wrong, obviously. But um, I I just think that kind of result was such a this could have happened under Van Hal. This could have happened under you know the the things I was saying about United. Well, now they're going to beat the teams that they should be beating all the time. That's the ultimate measure of United being fully back, and obviously but, it's pro- they're not. I mean, they're not. No, no, no. There it's exactly a progression. Yet. I, I know it's a progression. So I was listening to um, Devils in the Detail podcast, a Manchester United tactical podcast, and uh, the host of that, Keith Van Hemmen, was saying going one nil up, and then just trying to score a counter attacking goal while bunkering down frantically for forty five minutes is just so dumb. I cannot stress enough how annoyed I am. Massive Oli ball vibes in that second half. Keep the ball for God's sake, and so I replied, uh, kind of hinted at, uh, kind of hinted at this on one of your recent Devil in the Detail podcasts. Lack of control, which is the big thing for United, control the game against the lesser opponents. And uh, he replied, yes, but this was ten times as bad as it's been in other matches. Like there's having bad moments, and then there's being stupid for the fo- for the whole half. It's just something United have to get their heads around and and try and control better, Andrew. And that thing is. That when you go one nil up away from home in particular against these teams that you should be beating, you have to stay on the front foot. You have to stay in control of the football. Uh, you have to manage your rest defense better. All those things. And uh, United didn't do it. And and not only that, the yellow for Casemiro is really yeah. disappointing going into the Arsenal game. Boy, right as he was about to go off too, wasn't I, wasn't Fred on the sideline ready to come in? I think so. And it was a stupid tackle as well. It, did it have to be made? I mean. No, no, probably not. Like there was still a lot of defense. It wasn't a last ditch effort. It wasn't necessarily, you know, one of those like midfield cynical ones to break up a potential counterattack. You know, but I mean, it was a, it was an obvious yellow. Yeah, he probably thought that it was it was a sacrificial moment that maybe if he gets beat there, it creates something dangerous behind him, which could have been the case. But there were still so many Manchester United defenders that like there was so much work that Palace still would have had to do. It yeah. felt you're right. It felt like it was not 
it was not needed in that moment. And now he he pays for it in a huge way. He's going to miss the Arsenal match this weekend. One more thing before before we get off this game. I, yeah. I thought Chris Richards was was really, really good. And um, I didn't see the game live, so I, I was watching the highlights. But going into the highlights, I was hearing everyone say, how were United denied that penalty? That, that was a penalty on Chris Richards against McTominay. I've watched it a million times. There's no way the VAR is giving that. There was no mistake. I think, like, in line with what the Premier League and the P, uh, PGMOL have been doing, that is not going to be a penalty. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't have given it, was, it either. It was very, it was close. I mean, I watched it a bunch of times. I thought it was really close. I think he does nick the ball. And I think they. I think the call was right. I think it's one of those that whatever was given on the field is probably what was going to stand with VAR, which I think I'm comfortable. Like if that's the way VAR is going to be utilized, I'm comfortable with that. If it's really close, what they decided on the field, if it's you can't obviously see something that was egregiously wrong with it, then we then we play on, we continue. And I think, I think that's what they did. But yeah, drop points for United. Um, as momentum was was really building, uh, so minor setback for them. But like I said, they still look good in terms of top four positioning. Uh, the the tenor of the season, maybe th- their fans are allowed to be frustrated on that given day because they should be beating Palace. That's probably true, but they're not at that place yet where they're just going to beat everybody every week. It's it's you know they're building in the right direction, but I think it's doesn't change the way I feel about them with how things are progressing right now. Uh, so while they may still be in a decent place, there is another club, JJ. That is not. And with that now, let's uh, let's go in the club. Go, 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 go. That's right. Uh, in the club. We are in the club and we are, we are heading now to the, the blue half of Liverpool, JJ. We're going to talk about Everton and just... And just where things are at right now, I'm a little scared. I'm a little frightened to do this. Times are not, they are not good. Uh, we obviously can have our thoughts and opinions, but we're not in it necessarily. We're not, and we're not Everton supporters. We we only have our outside perceptions of of how this fan base is feeling right now. Let's get the real thing and let's do it from Ped from Toffee TV. He joins us now. Ped, what's up, man? How are you? I'm, well, I was going to say I'm okay, but you know, being an Evertonian is not not exactly great at the moment. But I'm not too bad. Ped, okay. I've um... I've been um, diving into loads of uh, Twitter spaces, listening to Everton fans sounding off. Um, and I, again, the question comes back, like you've been supporting this team an awful long time. I would say Baz from Toffee TV has been supporting them even longer. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push you on your memory. Is this, is this the worst it's been? Yeah, it feels pretty low. It feels, it feels, uh, Slightly hopeless, which is probably the worst it can be. I mean, you know, last season was bad. Um, you go back to 94 and 98. Yeah. When I was a little bit younger and a little bit more naive and a little bit less, uh, you know, switched on to the way things are, which I think we think anyone around then probably was it in general in football. But now we, we know so much about the game and we're a, a lot more aware of what goes on behind the scenes and and um we have a bit more context on everything and it just it just feels with the money situation and um it just it does feel like really really low at the moment and and there's so much going on in the behind the scenes never mind just on the pitch that yeah it does it does feel pretty bad at the moment Ped, I kind of want to go a little bit back to the beginning here because it's like you say, it's dire straits for Everton right now. Second from bottom, just lost at home to Southampton. It's bad. It's it's quite bad. So 
I guess the question that a lot of us, you know, we, we kind of bat this back and forth. I'd be curious for your thought. How did we get here? How did things go from a place where, you know, for Everton finishing mid table sort of felt like a down year to a place where mm-hmm. simply avoiding relegation will feel like a successful year? How did we get to this point? I think we, we just got here through uh, poor planning and um, just, just, yeah, like, you know, getting comfortable, I suppose, with those mid mid table finishes, just being just getting used to them and 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 ch- starting to change the manager every year. I think there's there's a, there's different perceptions on Everton Everton and Everton fans. It's there's a perception that Everton fans are quite difficult and 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 this, you heard this word toxic a lot, and mm. it's it's just not true. It's just that I think there's there's a mix of a fan base where the standards from the past um, that that people probably my age and a little bit older have. And then there's the younger fans who see how everybody else is sort of doing well. And you obviously we have Liverpool in the city and, and it, you know, if people don't know Liverpool, Liverpool's not a big place. It's not, it's not a big city at all. It's, it's, um, you know, the two, the two, the two teams are really, really close. We all, as a fan bases, we all mix together. So you don't get this thing. You can't get away from Liverpool fans. So you mix them with them. Manchester's not that far away. Either. I mean, in terms of you know, in terms of American geography, Manchester's like a suburb away. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not that far either. So you've got you've got this melting pot of of all the big teams in England and and you know Europe and and the world now are grouped together really closely. And then you've got Everton, and we we see ourselves as a club that should be one of those clubs that it clearly isn't. So the expectations have been all over the place. We've we've continually got worse on the pitch because there's no plan. We change our manager. The 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 recruitment has been really, really bad. And I think we're a little bit we've been a little bit lost as a club. And I think you could probably say this is similar for other old old successful teams like maybe Aston Villa and 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 Leeds um who just can't find their identity because we're still trying to do things like the Champions League teams. And what's what's happening is we're spending money, lots of money, on very, very average players who don't give you any return. Whilst smaller clubs like Brentford and Brighton have been a lot smarter about their business because they know they can't compete with the Champions League teams. And maybe someone, maybe five, six, seven years ago, had, you know, give Evan a little nudge and said maybe that's the way to do things instead of trying to compete maybe we'd be in a lot better position and I think we would be so every year we've just got a little bit worse a little bit worse I mean you know it's the old thing we're like we're like the frog in the hot water it's been getting boiled around us and we haven't quite noticed and now we now in terms of financially we are uh, in FFP sorry we are in a real bad way um and the owner doesn't really understand football. The board are a very old-fashioned kind of board. They're not outward thinking. They're not looking at the global market. They're not looking at, you know, how to um, how to even try and get in the Champions League. So uh, it, it is a bit of a mess, but it, it's a mess on many different levels. So it, it's hard to know which one to fix first. And obviously from the outside, people will probably say, we'll just change the manager. But we've tried that. And I don't think it really is going to be the answer this time. Well, that's grim because like, if like the first thing has to be 
considering the money, like relegation would be a disaster considering the stadium, the finances mm. at the stadium, and we might get into that in a little later. But um, my, my feeling, Ped, was after the celebrations, after the Palace game, after that huge outpouring, my, my first feeling was, right, they've got to move on from Lampard. Mm. They have to move on and they have to use the summer. And I know you've said it's been a cycle of new manager reset. Mm. That hasn't worked, new manager. But like, I feel like it, the writing was on the wall there. And so we're in the position we are now. And the priority has to be to stay up from a financial standpoint. So like, why is the manager still there? Why is Frank Lampard still manager of Everton Football Club? Um, because there's there's a lot of um, sympathy from him from, for for him from the fan base. Where because because last season when he came in, we were a mess. You know, we again we weren't just a mess on the pitch; we were a mess off the pitch. Rafa Benitez had come in, and not only was he not really like well, he was he wasn't liked. There's no really about it. He wasn't liked. He wasn't liked, but he'd also he'd also started changing the way Everton operated in, in uh, behind the scenes and he he was ripping the recruitment team up, he was sacking medical staff without replacing them and so when Frank Lampard came in it was all a mess, we didn't have a director of football because Mark, uh, Marcel Brands had either been sacked or left, whichever way you look at it mm. and he went in there, he, he, he I think after about a month he realised that Everton couldn't play football and he had to go to play five at the back and rely on Richarlison's energy and, you know, just being that little bit of a spark. And it, it just got us through. Yeah. And we were, you know, as a fan base, we were exhausted. We were absolutely exhausted. You know, everyone's seen those bus welcomings and all that kind of thing. We were just exhausted. We just wanted, you know, I, I, I had many a sleepless night. Uh, you know, you, you're working out all the permutations in your head. And ultimately, we got, we got through. And on the last, really... That, what that should have been was a catalyst to try and get rid of the people at the top of the club. Never mind Frank Lampard. Right. But we never, we, we just all, we all just jumped in our, on our beds and just had a nice, you know, sleep for about three months. Um, <laughs> and, and and really, I never thought, it was, I mean, obviously it's my day job, so I do it every day and I have to talk about it every day, but it wasn't until I, it wasn't until I come over to America for the tour and um, I'd gone to, went to Baltimore and, and seen us play Arsenal and the levels were just night and day. And then we then we went to Minnesota and oh my God, you know, to get destroyed four 0 by an MLS club. Yeah. And listen, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a big supporter of MLS, but yeah. we were just we were it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. And there was alarm bells that, that night of where we were and, and Frank Lampard decided he had to start making uh, moves in the transfer market. He did. And it's sort of you know what it's like in football. It gets away from you very quickly. You 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 you're concentrating on one thing rather than another thing. As same as a fan, you you're looking, especially in the summers, where you you're so optimistic in pre-season. But the idea of sacking Frank Lampard was, you know, it's a new start, a fresh start. Given the players, it'll be okay. And fans really like Frank Lampard. Fans really like him. They they, they do like him as a as a guy. And mm. you know, the see, we had a poor start of the season in terms of you know result. First couple of results, we were waiting for a striker, and then we got into a decent run. And before you knew it, we were—I think we were nine unbeaten. Uh, we got a draw at home with Liverpool. We were—we we were doing okay. Um, so it just got away from the idea. There was no idea of even sacking Frank Lampard. And before you know it, you're all—you're looking forward to the World Cup, and then the bad results came. And yeah. really, I—I I think 
the two Bournemouth games, probably in hindsight, are the place where Everton should have sacked Frank Lampard. Because I think that's where the likes of Wolves and Villa, uh, you know, they decided at that point, get a new manager in, yes. give him time uh, on the on the training field, give him a look at the place so he knows who he wants to bring in. And that, that should have been the time. And now Everton are a little bit, you know, between a rock and a hard place. They don't know what to do now because there's such a lack of leadership at the top that, that they don't know what to do for the best now. Yeah, uh, it's it's dire. Like we said, Ped from Toffee TV joining us in the club here on Caught Offside. And, and, you know, you talk about that tour that they went on to the U.S. We remember that, of course, very well. We talked about certainly the Minnesota match here on this podcast. And, you know, like you mentioned – the putting five at the back and just kind of relying on Richarlison. And then he goes and, you know, I, I look at this squad now and it, and it feels to me with Everton, like you can't say, Oh, Everton are just underachieving. They'll get it right. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it, it's appropriate that they're in this relegation fight from a personnel perspective. I mean, I guess to look at it from the positive side, who are the guys on this team that fans feel good about? Um, <laughs> That's too, um, too long of a pause. Um, no, you're absolutely right. You know, there is the, the squad is absolutely awful. And I think that's another thing as fans. Fans don't always look at a squad and think it's not good enough. They'll look at a squad and go, Oh, he's okay. And he did that one thing that one time. And mm. and there is that re- there isn't a I don't think there's a realization amongst fans that the squad really is poor. The one thing that hit me in the summer was, and this is where I was really struggling, was there's no goals in it. You know, there's no. absolutely you can get away with being a poor side if you've got a couple of goal scorers in. Everton don't have goal scorers. We had Richarlison last year, and obviously that's why we saw Spurs wanted to buy him. We had him. We had no other goals. You know, we don't have anyone prolific. Dominic Carvalho's injury record over the last eighteen months has been so poor that you just can't rely on him. And I think where Everton have made a massive mistake here is in the summer is they bought a player to be. Uh, to come off the bench from Dominic Carvalhoon. I think they should have been looking to replace Dominic Carvalhoon. But clearly, there wasn't enough money there for that kind of player. Um, and that's where we are. We You look at the you look around, they made a big deal of Anthony Gordon. They should have sold Anthony Gordon. He's yeah. nowhere near the kind of player Everton need right now. He's a, he's a development player. He's a player that if you put into um, a squad, a higher squad, give him a little bit of time, he could develop into a really top talent. And I mean that. But at the moment, he's just not the kind of player Everton need. And he doesn't show um, what we need. He's such a frustrating player. So therefore, it it, it annoys fans. So they get angry with him um, and chase him down the street in his car. Um, <laughs> um, so there's, there's that as well. I think, I think that what we have got is we've got a couple of... Onana, I think, will... He's just... Turning in, starting to turn in those performances where you go, oh yeah, he's our, he's the best player in the pitch today. That hadn't been happening until recently. Um, so I think he could have a big second half of the season. Um, obviously Jordan Pickford is is a is a huge player for us. Um, but he'll probably he'll probably get sold at the end of the season by the looks of it. And if Dominic Carvalhoon could find any kind of form. If he could get it, it must be difficult. He's been on and off the pitch for 18 months. If he could get any kind of, uh, you know, if he could get string five, six, seven games together and start putting the ball in the back of the net, because ultimately that's all it, that's what it would take for Everton to get out of trouble is just putting the ball in the back of the net, because that's all that really matters in football. You can be really, really poor, 
you can you can be losing loads of games. But if one guy just starts putting the ball in the back of the net and just giving everybody else that little bit of hope and that little bit extra five percent to throw themselves, you know, in front of every single shot and you get a little bit of luck. I mean, the games recently we've been really, really poor. But you know, if Everton go two nil up in those games instead of just one nil up. We're winning those games. We're get we're getting the three points against Wolves. We're getting the three points against Southampton if um a Wobi shot girls in. That's just where we are now. But the confidence is so brittle that the minute we can see that goal, there's no way back. And the, I think the difference is when we play away, like when we play against Man City, when when we play five at the back, there isn't a lack of confidence because it's well, we're playing Manchester City, we're playing Manchester United. There's no, there's no uh, pressure on us, so therefore I think the, the 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 players feel a little bit freer. But obviously, at Goodison Park or or when you're playing any kind of um, relegation rival like we do this weekend, it, they're going to feel the pressure. They're going to feel you know the heat on them from the fans. So um, I just I'm just hoping if someone like Dominic Calvert Lewin can get can get going a little bit, then. You know he could be someone um, big for us, and obviously bringing him, if we can bring players in, we could yeah. just add five or six, seven goals to the team. You know that would be huge because the goals we just don't have goal scorers. We we must be the we must be one of the worst teams in the league for sharing goals amongst players. Ted, last one for me. Um, Go on. Yeah, the weekend. Uh, you know. We, we saw the scenes with, with supporters kind of pleading with Yerry Mina. Then we heard the stories, yeah. uh, uh, you know. But but prior to that, the board releasing the statement that, uh, or not the board, the club releasing the statement yeah. that the board didn't feel safe going to the game. And it just painted a picture of Everton fans that I thought was mm. dreadful and unfair. Um, Like, what was the sense amongst uh, Evertonians? Is this like total and utter betrayal? Yeah, it's, that's a great word to use, betrayal, because that's exactly what it is. Um, it's betrayal by the by the board. Um, I did a bit of a passionate rant this week about it on a live show, and I, I just I can't get over how how the how the the fans have been painted, because yeah. you know the thing with Yerry Mina was nothing. That is big. Yerry Mina comes from you know the favelas or whatever of Colombia. And um, you know this guy's probably seen all kinds. So a couple of Evertonians standing in front of him, yeah. and, and and being passionate is probably nothing. The, the thing with running after Anthony Gordon, I'm not being funny, but all anything shot on him on a on a phone always looks, you know, like Jerry Bockheimer couldn't get a better shot than yeah. some of these phone camera things. They make things look so crazy, dramatic. When yeah, when when probably you know it's, you just need a. You just needed Jason Bourne sitting in the car to make it look like a full hit. Um, they've totally portrayed us. Like the the thing, the the statement was bad enough, but the leaking of a story about the CEO being put in a in a in a in a headlock is just. I I I'll never forgive them. I'll never forgive these people for for creating a sense of um, just creating a, creating a, a false story and uh, and 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 way way of looking at our fan base it's you know it, you can go you can go and watch an amateur game of football on a on a on a on a in a park somewhere in liverpool and you'd find a more toxic fan, fan base than 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 everton's we're just passionate like any like most fan bases certainly in the northwest we love our football you know it's what we think about it from 
the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep. You know, the people who go to the away games, that's their day out. That's their that's they don't go out to, to nightclubs or pubs. That's their day out on an away game all day, following the, the club they love with their mates. And for us to be painted in that way, I'll never forgive them for that. Um, uh, you know, to leak a story which now that conveniently saying, oh, we, we don't really, we didn't leak that story. They're just liars. I have no issue saying that. They're just liars. They know they are and they're liars. And to painters in the national media and obviously the the, the, the way the game is now, the, the the press around the world can hold those stories. And what a story. CEO of a football club, you know, female CEO, gets put in a headlock by a yeah. fan. That's just nonsense. Like, that can't happen. It just can't happen. It can't happen at a, at a game, you know. And it and if it if it did happen, which again was show me the evidence that it happened, that there's you're painting every football fan in that stadium in a really bad light. Um, so I, I'm I'm really disgusted by that, and I just think it's created this new uh, this real barrier between us and the owners and and the board that I don't think could ever be redeemed. Oh man. Well, Ped, we feel for you. I mean, I, I know I can, <laughs> I can speak to, to here in the U S there's a, there's a huge Everton support base in the United States, whether it's, you know, from Tim Howard's time there, or Landon Donovan's time there or yeah. whatever, just the nature of the club. And, you know, we, a lot of our friends are Everton fans and it's tough. It's been tough on them over these last, you know, this era really, but the last couple seasons in particular. Uh, and so we, we feel for you. We'll be rooting from afar. <laughs> And uh, we appreciate you giving us some time here and kind of giving us uh, the lowdown on on what it's like to be a fan of this club right now. Ped, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Great to be on. Oh, oh, that Everton fan base right now. It's yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised to to hear him talk that way. It's it seems consistent with with what outside perception is. Uh, I don't know what I would have expected. It would have been shocking if he's like, "No, we're good." <laughs> so I guess I knew that this is how it was going to go. But I yeah. Know. Kind of confirms what we all, what we've all thought that this is just one of the worst. Honestly, one of the worst times in their history is is right now. The, yeah, the weekend was just absolutely brutal from all angles. Yeah, uh, let's see, JJ. We'll get to your things you saw on the internet in just a sec. But I, I wanted to mention, obviously, next week the U.S. has a couple friendlies. Their January camp is commencing right now. They they put the uh, the squad list out there. And uh, the other night after the U.S. women played and beat New Zealand four nil. Good second half from them after a rough first half. But on the HBO Max postgame show, um, it was – who was it? It was Demarcus Beasley, Carly Lloyd, Shannon Box, and they were talking a, a little bit about the U.S. men and some – I mean, what a what an incredible opening night this was for HBO Max's coverage that their analysts were so frank and upfront on some big topics. Demarcus Beasley was talking about the Greg Berhalter situation. He said this, quote, he lost the locker room. He lost the trust of the players. U.S. soccer, for one, can't stay with Greg Berhalter. Once you lose the locker room and the trust of your players, I think you got to go. I hope that Cindy Cohn, the U.S. soccer president, and Ernie Stewart, uh, the sporting director, whoever's making the decisions can see that and put somebody in that position to make better decisions and move this team forward. Uh, they're going to ask their players. They're going to have a say in who the next in who's going to be the next coach. Now, Beasley, you know, because he's a former player himself, because he's kind of so entrenched in that community, the way he stated all this, he stated it almost as accepted fact that this is happening, that the players are going to pick the next coach. So he he felt compelled the next day and he followed up on Twitter because I'm sure he probably heard this heard from a lot of people that he knows at U.S. Soccer said, "Demarcus, what are you doing?" 
Uh, and so he he said to add to the comments from yesterday, those were my opinions and my experiences I've personally had when a new coach was being talked about. Um, I didn't mention add that part yesterday. None was based on conversations. So I guess his comments can't be reported as as fact. It's kind of you know just a, a talking point. And I, he, the other thing he said on that HBO Max post game show was that before all this happened with Gio Reyna, he thought Bearhalter had done enough to earn the job to and continue this project through the 2026 world cup, but everything post Reina has changed his opinion. That's kind of, I can, I can relate to that. That's, that's largely how I've felt about this, that, you know, I think from a performance perspective, I think it's been good enough. I I don't think that that there's, if if none of this Reina stuff had happened, I just don't think there's quite enough to say it's been bad and he doesn't deserve to come back. I, I was clear on that. But boy, to betray the trust of your team like this, to take something that was such a dark point from their World Cup experience and bring it to the light for the manager to be the one to do that and then expect the same from his players moving forward. I just think that there's going to be a trust gap that's going to be hard for them to ever really fully repair. I, yeah. I kind of I come down where DeMarcus does on this. Oh, yeah, I know. And look, one thing the HBO Max crew has had, is they've had time much more time than everybody else to to filter through this and to think about this. And this is the only conclusion that you can really come to. It, it was our conclusion in, initially on the podcast, on the live shows that we did over the World Cup when this was breaking. Um, so look, uh, no shocks for, for me there. Uh, the, the other, um, I suppose, interesting note was on his State of the Union podcast, Alexi Lalas wants Bearhalter Bearhalter to return if for no other reason than to and I'm not quoting him but this was the line to strike a blow against cancel culture that's the only thing that you could take from what he said you I heard mean, what he said yeah i don't know if this like i don't know that this qualifies as as something that i would categorize under cancel culture no like i think that this is this would be i don't know like to me Losing the trust of your team is a legitimate reason to not bring a manager back for a job. It's 100%. not. It's not never... that Bearhalter made an inappropriate comment to the media, and now he's getting burned for it. Like it's that to me is more of what cancel culture. I think. I, yeah, I think he's he's angling towards the the report from nineteen or the that what happened in nineteen ninety one. Right, uh, and I don't think that I don't think anyone, at least I have not heard anyone say that that's the reason. Bearhalter should be fired for for some not fired not brought back for something no. that happened thirty years ago between him and his wife. I don't. I haven't really heard that. I no, think that's most not of, what I've most heard of the either. opinions have either been the people who have always wanted him out because they just don't think that he's the right guy for this job, or people kind of like Beasley myself that think that he his his return was on the fence. And then losing the trust of your team is a thing that could probably push you to the wrong side of the fence. I think that that's that's kind of I think where more opinion lies on this. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. And the and the only people who really contradict that is the Harvard Business Review, who uh, who think that it, this is an example of leadership and one that needs to be taken to the masses. <laughs> Corporate America is in his corner. Um, yeah, we'll talk more about the U.S. with their January camp and the uh, the upcoming matches against Serbia and Colombia. We'll do that more so next week. Just right. a, a couple quick ones. I was I was in terms of the team that was announced. I think as far as January camps go, it's a pretty interesting team. Uh, a couple names that I was intrigued by. Obviously, I, I love that Brandon Vasquez is included in this team. Yet another opportunity for someone to get a leg up on that striker position, which we're just in this constant search for. I know it's been DK lately. Now we'll see if, if Vasquez can kind of start to carve out a name for himself. Also a little surprised that Paxton Aronson 
not that he's there, but that Eintracht Frankfurt released him for this. They did not have to. Uh, I figured this would be mostly MLS, maybe Liga MX, you know, those kinds of guys I thought maybe would be included. Maybe some of you know guys playing in Norway, stuff like that, other leagues that are on hold right now. Uh, but Frankfurt, Eintracht Frankfurt released him. I'm glad that he'll be there. He can start to get entrenched in uh, in this U.S. team as well. Uh, so, yeah, it should be, you know, even though it's not necessarily the A squad, I still find this almost just as interesting to see kind of which guys from this crop can sort of emerge and, and force their way into that A squad. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it, it will be fun. Uh, just a couple of ones for me. Julian Gressel I was surprised yeah. at that. I don't see, I don't see the long term point of it, but I guess it's a, it's almost like a lifetime achievement award. He's got a citizenship in November. He's been a consistent performer, very good in terms of assists for both for, for Atlanta and uh, for Van, now for Vancouver. Get him in. Uh, Jonathan Gomez is the real one. Hearts and minds need to be won here, Andrew. We need to convince him that the way is America. Um, he, he, I mean, he. This is good because he's impressionable. He's obviously hasn't made a senior appearance for Real Sociedad, but but it's it's important to get him in. Um, and and John Tolkien personally, um, I'm I'm very curious to see how he does, how much of a run he gets. He's a guy that's kind of at a crossroads now. He's I know he's only twenty, but what next? Does he stay with Red Bulls? Is there a chance he goes to Europe? Um, and and I will get into it more next week. Paul Ariola and Aaron Long, what is the point of that? Like genuinely, what is the point of bringing those guys in? Except leadership, I, I think that maybe for the for a younger group of players who are coming through, it's not the worst thing in the world for there to be a couple a couple veteran leaders to kind of show them the way uh, how we do things. You know, especially with a, a coach there who's not really their coach, it's not the worst thing for that guy to have some trusted players around this young group. Uh, you're, I understand what you're saying, but I I, I can. I also, I wouldn't freak out about it because there's a part of it that makes a little bit of sense to me. Okay, fair enough. Let's do it. Let's do things I saw on the internet. Jingle, uh, please. Here we go. I'll check the web. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you the internet. I went on the internet this week. Oh, God. And I found this. What did you find? Oh, Andrew, so good to hear that jingle again. It's it's amazing, and uh, there's been a lot of requests. So let's get into it. Um, so I uh, alluded to Martin Tyler at the top of the show, Andrew, and a lot of criticism lately that he's not celebrating goals with the uh, expected verve, uh, you know. And, and some people think, oh, he's he's phoning it in. Some people think he's that little bit older. Let me tell you, the goal you're about to hear was a bicycle kick. I, I, like a superb bicycle kick goal, something that wasn't that common in England 34 years ago. It's David Platt for Aston Villa. And this is how Martin Tyler reacts. Mountfield. And the overhead kick has gone in from David Platt. Is that but a parting shot from Aston Villa? Now, that's not exactly... I suppose the context was West Ham were leading 2-0 in that tie and we'll go on to go through in the Littlewoods Cup. But that is a spectacular goal and deserved probably more than the understated commentary that Martin Tyler delivered. So what I'm saying, guys, is he's always kind of been this way. And in our minds, we remember, Shira, you know, those big, and, you know, he and, and it's not like an Aguero. But a lot of the time, Martin Tyler played it understated. So maybe we should give him a break. This is his style. He's all, yeah. He's always been like that. I just think maybe it's a little bit jarring because you know, for better or worse, 
the broadcasting world has changed a little bit in that time, and it has become a little bit more commonplace for guys to get loud maybe a little bit more frequently, and he has not changed, which I guess is a credit to him, and it, and he's one of the all-time greats. We've always said that, undoubtedly. Um, so, I, look, there have been moments where I'm kind of like, Martin, this was like, I know you like to pick and choose your spots and who am I just a lowly peasant to tell a legend how to call a game. But like, there have been some moments that I feel like he let them go by without reaching the levels. Like I've always said, JJ, that I thought Liverpool's comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League probably deserved a little bit more from the commentator than what he gave him that day. Like, is this I feel like this is like horrible to be no. like why Andrew Gunling is criticizing Martin Tyler. Like I know what's right and wrong from a pro. I'm just saying from what I want, like, and I'm not somebody that needs screaming. Like I don't like, that's fine. Like his style. I love, I think he's, he's, he's top two, three all time favorite announcer for, for me in this sport. But like, sometimes you, I feel like he could let it go sometimes in moments where he doesn't. Yeah, and even the understated guys like you know you know very well from his his commentary on Tottenham goals, but you know Barry Davies w- could could still scream when he needed to and get excited when he needed to. Yeah, it's, but it's weird because I've heard Martin Tot like we talk about for Tottenham goals like there was just a regular game during a season when Lamella when Tottenham were down and or Lamella scored like a third goal for Spurs and they scored three in really quick succession and he screamed on the third one Lamella like he and like that wasn't a Champions League final like so he does find it in in sort of random moments but I guess he's just all all feels like I'm not gonna force this if I genuinely feel it I'll yell if I don't I'll do it how I normally do it and there's no harm to let the crowd do the work for you absolutely no harm to let the moment breathe I hope he comes back now and he's like all right this is what you want, and he's like Gus Johnson from here on out, screaming on everything. Goal, 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 Leicester City. Yeah, I hope that's that's what we get from here on out. You see anything else on the internet, JJ? I did indeed. It's a throwback, Andrew. This is this should be filed under things I should have remembered from my childhood. It's the FA Cup in 1985. Kevin Moran for Manchester United, becomes the first player to be sent off in an FA Cup final. Uh, it's Everton-Man United. Man United go on to win the game despite going down to 10 men. They have a joint interview at the end of the game. The Manchester United ma- manager and Peter Reid of Everton. And here they are in agreement that the referee got it wrong. And ask you, Ron, about the really controversial moment. Now, our experts have been very, very strong about it indeed. I wouldn't ask you to to have a go at a referee, but uh, you were obviously rather distressed when it happened, the sending off. Yeah, well, the way I saw it, I didn't even think that um, Kevin made an attempt not to play the ball. I haven't seen it on this, so I don't know. But Kevin looks at me, he was 2v1 at the back. He looks at me as if he was closing it to try and win it. Looks as if he realises he's got to win it. And that, to be fair, that, that happens a million times in a football game. The fellas, the fellas just nicked it. It's gone over, okay, it is a foul, it stopped them from a good situation. But there's nobody in the world going to tell me that's a deliberate attempt to play the player, not the ball. Well, here it comes, you've got Peter Reeders joining us now. Peter, your view of it? I thought just called me late, but there was no way he should have gone. You know what I mean, it's an injustice. I mean, uh, it, that does happen in games. I think it was just because he was the last man, but it was that close. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't a blade one. It was just that he was a wee bit late. And Do you think I mean, oh, I've just said it. It's, 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 uh, it was a bad decision in my opinion. I thought it was a wee bit unlucky. Um, uh, what can you say to the lads? I mean, it must be terrible. 
But uh, there you go. That's amazing. That Incredible is truly stuff. amazing. Like, why don't we do that anymore? It was so good. It was like, so good. By the way, can I just say also, Yeah. I mean, my oh my, has this sport changed where they were all in agreement that that was not a red card? Oh, I mean, it's a blatant red. Well, what did they need to have? Ha- what did it take back then to earn a red card? I mean, maybe it was because it was an FA Cup final. They think that there's a certain level that it's got. Someone has to basically have a leg broken on the field to reach red card status. And that didn't happen there. But I mean, like, any- tweet out the video, JJ. Like anyone who sees this, who's followed, who follows the sport today would be like, what? There was controversy <laughs> over that? Like the actual Everton player didn't think it was? What? <laughs> but but like that that kind of tackle you see it all the time you know yeah, yeah no, you that's don't. why it was of the year but the way they just agree with each other and and Peter Reed who's just lost the FA Cup final just goes yeah it was an injustice <laughs> that the opposition player was sent off who stopped him from scoring a goal <laughs> in a game they lost oh my god unbelievable but but th- that was much more common they used to get both managers together and interview them about the game. We got to bring that back. Like uh, there has to be a reason it left because it's too content wise. It's too good. And I wonder if teams were just not okay with it and told broadcasters that like, look, if you want the rights, this is how it's going to go. They, they maybe just didn't, you know, just didn't like it after a game of having to do that. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And also, I mean, we saw Roy Keane and uh, Jurgen Klopp was interviewed by the, the studio there during lockdown at one of the lockdown games. And he heard the tail end of Roy Keane and what Roy Keane said, that it was a poor, uh, sloppy performance. And he goes, did I hear Mr. Keane say it was a sloppy performance? He could not have been watching this game. You know, and the next thing they're doing a back and forth. Can you imagine that with two opposition managers like losing their minds beside each other? It'd be gold. It's WWE style stuff, but it existed. It was a thing. Bring it back. Please bring it back. And that was things I saw on the internet. Not a red. (laughs) You can see now, JJ, how people from that era who loved that era watch the game now, and it's just game's gone. Game's gone. Yeah. Like you, you can, you almost can understand it. If that was, if the thought then was that that was not a, a straight red, good Lord. By hey, this way, was, this, this, oh, you have more. Just one quick thing. I have to give credit. There's a great account, uh, Stu's Football Flashbacks. Stu's Football Flashbacks on Twitter. That is where you'll see some of this just unbelievable content from yesteryear. And uh, not that long ago, in some cases, that was the show. There you go. Hey, this was uh, this was a hell of a pod, my friend. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Our thanks to Ped from Toffee TV. Feel free to check him out, Everton fans. If you weren't aware of him already, go check on him. See what uh, see what he's talking about with that club right now. JJ, this was fun. I hope you have a great weekend. Go Birds to you, I say. Go G Men. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 